Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Pat Markey, and he's a professor of psychology and the director of the IR laboratory at Villanova University. And the reason I brought Pat Markey on today is because he's authored a book with Chris Ferguson called Moral Combat, for which uh, I will put the show notes, uh, links in the show notes for the listeners uh, and viewers. And what we're really going to get down to today is around violent video games and uh, how they don't, in inverted commas, lead to uh, violent people. And uh, really, Pat, I'm going to start with the first question of why you do what you do. Um, sure. I mean, that's a big question. But uh, in terms of our research, uh, Chris and I put this book together. Um, we've both been examining violent video games for, gosh, at least a decade between the two of us. Um, and we kind of wanted to just put together everything we've known uh, that we've learned through our research and research of other people's mm-hmm. um, to kind of give it to the general public. That's definitely a book that's not necessarily geared towards academics. I mean, there's over 300 citations in it, so it's based on science. Mm. But we wanted to kind of give back um, research to the general public. Because one of the problems with academics is we end up talking to each other so much and not discussing our findings. Um, Because there's a lot of misunderstandings in terms of violent video games, you know, if they're linked to school shootings, if they're linked to homicides and things of of that type. And so we kind of just wanted to give a general uh, overview of the, the state of research right now. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is really, really helpful. And obviously that that follows the the kind of remit of this podcast and it makes it easier for people are supposed to listen to as well as read. Um, Because I'm not I'm not so sure how many people actually pick up a a paperback now. And I just want to say, actually, your book is available in uh, Audible, isn't it? Yeah, you can you can listen to it or on Kindle, whichever is easiest. Yeah. Okay. so for the listeners uh, and viewers, how would you define, um, and I think this is one of the, the fantastic parts about your book actually, is how do we define what a violent video game is versus um, something that might be labeled something else? So, I'm Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a tough question actually. I mean, it seems so simple, but this is actually one of the problems with research in this area is what is a violent video game? Um, the broadest definition that's used by um, uh, uh, kind of the most vocal anti-video game researchers is it's any video game in which one character, you know, can hurt another, virtually hurt another character in a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that then means like Pac-Man is a violent video game yep. or, you know, Mario Brothers is a violent video game. And I guess in some ways they are, if you're, we're going to, you know, say that's what violence is. Um, and this is actually one of the issues with a lot of the research done on violent video games is we actually have trouble defining what our variable is, the thing we're most interested in, it's hard to define it. Um, Because nobody wants to say it's only blood, um, because people are concerned about cartoon violence. And so it's one of those things that at the very start gets so difficult in just defining uh, defining what we mean by that. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think um, just in terms of how, when I read your book, um, uh, there was something around, actually, we have this same issue when I'm trying to talk to people about what cyberbullying is and the overlap between trolling and stalking. And actually, where, where you have these phenomena, they're very difficult to define. So I think w- what we're talking are what might be classed as action games, they're, they're 
just how, how that first person shooter, would that be classed as a violent game? Would it be classed as an action game, uh, role playing game? Um, and I think that's, that's what makes the difficulty when we use um, some of these terms, isn't it? The violent video games. Yeah, and I mean, and at the extremes, we all can agree on, on like, say, Grand Theft Auto or maybe even Call of Duty, that th those are violent video games. So mm. I, think we're, I think where it gets muddled up is kind of the, the in-between, that squishy area where we're not quite sure is that violence or not. But again, anti-video game researchers are pretty vocal in that every single type of violent video game, rather be games like Pac-Man or Grand Theft Auto, is going to have negative effects on us. Yeah, so that's that's why I've kind of chased you down on Twitter, um, uh, rather than kind of trying to sit and do another Facebook Live on this and, and sit with parents. Actually, you're the person who's written the book on this, um, so I'm making an assumption that through the process of osmosis and um, writing the book, which I know takes a, a horrendous amount of time, that you will have absorbed almost uh, every kind of opinion on both sides of the coin regarding what what impact this actually does have. And I think it was when I saw the fact that Donald Trump was calling a meeting regarding uh, the, the recent school shooting and then the tweets and the media uh, hyperbole started with the, um, it was definitely down to the fact that this child played computer games. And to be perfectly honest, as a trauma uh, practitioner, I see lots of other factors. So I'm just wondering about how would you like to kind of tackle this question about how do we evidence and how do we show that violent video games do not produce violent people. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the research is complex and, and it, is, it is a longer story than just they don't or they do. Um, mm. And so there's, there's really two camps of researchers. Um, there's, I mean, I'm just, for lack of a better word, I'm gonna call them anti-video game researchers. They're actually a very vocal minority of scholars that um, tend to be much more senior. They've been around, they're older essentially. Um, but there's a small group and there's the other camp where the vast majority of actually, and there's surveys done on this, of uh, researchers don't think that violent video games contribute to real societal violence. And the thing is actually both sides point to evidence. And the weird part is both sides can be right in a way. The anti-video game researchers will point to studies that examine video games typically in a laboratory and what we'll find is right after a person's done playing a video game, they're momentarily more aggressive. And we measure that with these kind of proxy measurements of like, do they give too much hot sauce to a person who doesn't like spicy foods? Or do they blast somebody with irritating noises? Mm -hmm. um, so what we're really seeing is right after you're done playing a video game, you're kind of, or sometimes you're kind of, for lack of a better word, a little more jerky. I mean, these aren't like dramatic changes we're seeing. It's not like you're pouring a whole bottle of hot sauce. It's, you know, a little bit more, um, but it's only temporary. Then the other group of researchers um, are examining actual real horrific acts of violence. So this is things like profiling school shooters or actually examining murder and mm -hmm. homicide rates and, and release dates of video games. And when we actually examine the real severe acts of murder, we actually don't find there is a connection. In fact, if anything, the research actually suggests an inverse connection um, mm -hmm. that people who are extremely violent or people who, or when video games, people are playing video games, we tend to see dips in crime. But the thing is, both those two worlds could be right, that what probably happens is right after we're done playing a video game, we might be momentarily hyped up from that game. But the point is it dissipates, it goes away. Um, it doesn't change us fundamentally as people. And I like to use the analogy of seeing a sad movie, because we can all relate to that, that you see a sad movie, and right when you're done with it, you might feel sad, you might be a little bummed out. 
but it doesn't change you as a person. It doesn't make you clinically depressed. And so just like all art forms, which video games is, um, it can change us temporarily. But again, we're not seeing in the data these fundamental changes in people as individuals. Yeah. And and again, um, there's a couple of things that have just popped up as you've been talking there, Pat. Um, So I'm I'm kind of thinking, actually, when I was doing my uh, undergrad, what, what, one of the researchers at the the uh, university did a piece of research on and and I was a participant and um I think I went on Gears of War and I, I was actually playing the game and getting frustrated with something that I couldn't do on it um obviously being a woman gamer and following the stereotypes of being rubbish but actually I wasn't I wasn't too rubbish um but I got frustrated with something that was happening and one of my friends that I was uh, obviously studying with went on to do a driving game and actually at the end of this piece of research the researcher said actually we found that it's driving games that produce the most aggression in terms of kind of the the um the ways we measure it whether it's a stroop test whether it's um and then followed by kind of words that um uh, make us think more aggressively apparently and 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 it's that kind of nebulous area isn't it of trying to define what aggression is what violence is whether we become aggressive, and I'm just thinking this brings me back to most of the um, articles that I've ever quoted, and I think it's Anderson and Bush about watching violent TV will make you then violent. And actually, I can't find any evidence that is, uh, in inverted commas, proving this. So I, yeah, no. yeah and, and actually we find, again, we find the exact opposite when we talk about violence. And yeah. TV is a good, a good example that there's actually studies, and this is, it's interesting because violent video games are no different in terms of this. So there are studies done in the late 70s, early 80s, when you had to watch TV shows at certain times, when you couldn't Netflix them. Mm-hmm. And what they found is when violent television shows are actually airing, there were dips in violent crimes. And then more in the 80s and 90s, economists examined violent movies, and they found when violent movies are released, there's actually dips in violent crime around the movie theaters. And then what we've done is we've examined video games, and we've examined release dates of Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto, as well as just when people are playing video games. So we find when violent video games are released and when people are online playing video games, we see dips in violent crime. And so it's not unique about video games. It's basically every violent media, when people are consuming it, there's actually dips in violent crime. And so one of the questions is, why does that happen? The data are what the data are, that again, we find this consistent effect. And probably the, the, the one that the media tends to like the most is a catharsis explanation that, you know, we're trying to get out our aggression. So we play this violent media and it, oh, we feel so much better. Yeah. The problem is research doesn't completely back up that idea. So we don't think that's what's happening. We think it's actually a less exciting idea of why it might be happening. It's simply that violent video games tend to be played by adolescent males. That, that's when we look at the data. That's the, the audience mm-hmm. that tends to play yep. them the most. Yeah. And the people who are the perpetrators and the victims of violent crime also actually tend to be adolescent males. And so what you have here is you have this unique situation where you have a media that's kind of targeting this at-risk demographic. And it's pulling that at-risk demographic off the streets and into our living into their living rooms. And so it's essentially separating perpetrators from victims. And so it's probably preventing violent crimes by that measure. What's mm-hmm. interesting, though, is... After, say, like, after Grand Theft Auto has been out for a month or we see people aren't playing it as much, we don't then see a bump up in violent crime. So it's not like they're in their living room getting hyped up playing Grand Theft Auto, then a month later, like, oh, my gosh, we don't see that bump up. So mm-hmm. the interesting part is the net gain or the net loss of video games, I guess you should say, is 
overall there's a lowering of homicides um, when people are playing them. And again, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't seem to ever go back up. Yeah, I, I did like, I think in, in your book, uh, there's two things that I like in your book that I tend to use when I'm teaching them. One of them is around um, release dates. And I say, mm -hmm. and that's because everybody's at home playing on the game. That's, yeah, no. the, you know, it's, it's almost like they're not on the streets, therefore the crime level goes down. Yeah, it's, it's the exact same logic when we have like youth camps and things of that sort designed to give kids something to do so that they're mm -hmm. not causing trouble, if you will. And yeah. it's that exact same idea that um, you're essentially have this activity that kids like to do and it's separating them from each other. It's, it's almost a painfully boring explanation, um, which probably means it's right, because usually the ones that are super exciting uh -huh. tend not to be correct. Um, but yeah, that, that's why we think it does happen. Yeah, uh, the, the part I usually put onto that is, is um, I, think, I think you might be looking at um, a bit of a long period of them playing a month. I think in my experience, uh, and, and I've got two grown up children now who are uh, gamers, so I've kind of watched and participated in this for a long time, is actually they tend to do the campaigns within 48 hours or maybe, I don't know, 72 at a push. So I think one of the things that, um, that does happen is there's a... a a spike in um, uh, levels of hours played. I'm just thinking here that I was going to go on about the, the addiction then, and, and I'm not. That what does happen is that um, younger people tend to spend that time playing the game in a, a kind of flurry of I've got to get to the end of the campaign first and be the first one to complete it. And then they'll play the game for a short amount of time. And I think it's boredom. Uh, you know, after a month, one of the reasons they stop playing the violent video games is actually they're bored. They, they've done all yeah. of the campaigns, they've done all of the online stuff, they've got their, you know, um, DLC, which for listeners is downloadable uh, content, and they kind of say, okay, I've, I've exhausted this game to the end, so now we need to find something else. Yeah, I mean, you definitely might be right. That Again, it's the point is that the games themselves aren't causing violence, they're, they're causing yeah. decreases, and so rather it's over a short period of time or over a month, it's a decrease that we see in it. And again, I think it's important to know, because a lot of people do think, well, they're just getting hyped up and when they go out in public, they're gonna you know, cause chaos. We don't see that increase um, in, in violent crimes. No, no. Um, and the other thing that I liked from your book, which I thought um, I would ask you to expand on for listeners, because I think it's just a brilliant way of explaining um, how research and factors don't always make sense um, when, when you kind of look at them, was the um, ice cream analogy. So the ice, ice cream and uh, violent media that you had in, I think it's one of the early chapters, isn't it? Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it. Is it the, the illusion, the correlation between ice cream and oh, yeah, violence? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's been a while since I wrote that chapter. Um, or maybe Chris that. wrote that. He might be, he's more brilliant than I am. He probably wrote that part. Right. It um, yeah. Well, uh, basically it was, a, it was a correlation between um, violent crime and ice cream sales. And you could say, mm. I think there was, there was a joke around oh, ice, cream, ice cream for correlation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, that's actually, so when we look at crime statistic research, kind of this ecological research that I'm talking about, we're getting reports from the, the Federal Bureau of the FBI in the United States. This is, this is all done in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, so we're getting crime data from them, homicides, locations, and so forth. And we relate them to, again, monthly sales of video games, when people are playing video games, release dates, of, you know, all kinds of ways we examine it. Again, story is always the same, is when people are playing video games, crime uh, tends to go down. Um, and we also see this do this when we go out of the United States and we do cross-culturally, we look at different countries and we find the same sto story. Those countries where they play most violent video games tend to be safer countries. Now, obviously correlation doesn't mean causation. And, and yeah. so you always have to be careful when you, when you have a relationship that it could be 
you know, some most likely in this case, it could be some third variable might be explaining it. So our job as researchers is to figure out what that third variable could be. And if you eliminate as many third variables as you can think of, at some point it starts to look like, okay, maybe there is a causal relationship. Again, you never know for sure because it's correlational data. Yeah. But so for example, with cross-cultural research, when we look at different countries, we control things like socioeconomic status or the, 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 the GDP of the countries, how many youths there are in countries relative to adults. And we try to break it. We basically try to make that correlation go away and we can't do it. So no matter what we put in, we can't explain the fact that with a third variable that we can think of that countries that play more video games tend to be safer countries. Mm. And then when we, when we look at data, the ice cream example that you're talking about dealt with heat. And so, you know, every time um, uh, uh, ice cream is highly correlated with homicides, uh, we find out and it's not because ice cream causes homicides. It's because the third variable heat causes them both to go up and yeah. down together. When it's hotter, people eat more ice cream, more people get murdered. And when we do, uh, when we look at seasonal changes in video game consumption, you know, people are buying more video games around the winter holidays, so it's cooler, obviously, at that time. So, of course, homicide is going to go down. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we control for that. We control for these seasonal fluctuations. And we try to take out, you know, explanations of heat effect, explanations of changes in demographics across time. And it's the same thing. We can't find a third variable that can account for the relationship we find that when people are playing violent video games, crime goes down. Um, so again, our data are correlational. You're kind of stuck with correlational data when you're looking at homicides and aggravated assaults. But no matter what we put in, we can't explain it with something, a third variable. And I think what's most important is it never, ever becomes positive. You never see across any of these data sets when people are playing violent video games, does crime go up? Mm. That's that's I mean, that's really interesting for for listeners. So I'm just thinking about how how and when and where this this um, uh, information's communicated. And, and one of the things that I I'm, I'm seeing is there seems to be a lot of a lot of uh, flurry on Twitter and other social media areas. But it only takes that one story with the, the negative bias for us to suddenly kind of start listening to the fact that violent media causes violent uh, behavior and that seems to be the same with uh, violent games so I'm just wondering about how how we as uh, researchers practitioners actually bring this to the forefront uh, to have these have these conversations when actually we've, we've recently had the issue of um, you know Donald Trump saying well actually I'm we're, we're having a meeting attributing this this child's behavior to playing these games yeah, it's tough. I mean, it really is hard to get out to the general public. And one of the issues is that what we have with video games is what we've seen in the past, that we have what we call a moral panic that's yeah. surrounding it. And we've seen this before. I mean, the, the little baby history, like in the, in the United States in the 1950s, uh, there was a big panic about comic books at the time. They actually had Senate hearings where they brought in psychologists to talk about the evils of comic books and how they were contributing to violence and sexual behaviors and so forth. And then fast forward to the 80s in the United States, we had concern about uh, uh, lyrics um, and rock music and so forth. And we had, again, Senate hearings. And again, experts came and talked about how, how rock bands are destroying our youth. In fact, one of the more funny side notes is one of the bands or one of the singers they pointed out was going to be detrimental, Cindy Lauper. And like nowadays, it seems ridiculous that we're worried about Shebop yeah. or anything along those lines. But, and then after that, it was for us, it was again, Dungeons and Dragons. We had this thing called the Satanic Panic, where we were worried about Satan worshipers kidnapping our children and taking them into the woods. 
And now we have video games. And yeah. what we see in all of these moral panics is it's typically an older generation that's oh, not yes. familiar with the media. And so yeah. we actually know this empirically. So research that actually uh, Chris Ferguson did is he examined researchers who believe violent video games are bad and parents and other groups. And he found the same thing that in general, people who are older and don't play violent or don't play video games are suspicious of it. And so what happens is you get these individuals who don't understand video games and they see them and they look scary. If you don't understand violent video games and you see a violent video game, it does look disturbing. You probably will think, Oh my gosh, that must be doing something. And so it's easy to understand why this panic uh, is created. And so, but the rub is that research doesn't show that it actually does anything as far as societal violence. Mm. Um, and so you end up with this panic of people who don't understand it. What ends up happening typically is over time, as the next generation grows up that was surrounded by that media, they don't worry about it. So after the 50s, as people grew up surrounded by comic books, they weren't worried about it. After the 80s, as we grew up, you know, listening to Cindy Lauper, we weren't worried about Cindy Lauper anymore. Yeah. And now with violent video games, there's a good chance that over time, we're going to not worry about violent video games anymore. Now, it'll be something else in the future. It'll be smartphones. Uh -huh. It'll be, yeah. you know, virtual reality. I, I don't know. And maybe it'll be me. Maybe I'll be scared of it because I don't understand, right? We're, we're not immune to these moral panics, us, just because we understand them. That it's just that yeah. we tend not to see value in the thing. So, I mean, that's key. So, as older people, if you don't play video games, you don't see much value in it. And it's very easy to distrust. Um, yeah. So, it's a, hard, it's a hard force to fight against, to try to get people to look at the science and not go with their immediate gut reaction when they see the media. Yeah, uh, it is one of the reasons why um, when, when I'm working with parents and, and so, so I might have um, children who are brought to the clinic and, and somebody might say, uh, uh, they, they won't get off their game, Kath, and I can't, and, and we'll get into a conversation and the conversation generally goes, um, they're playing on such and such a game and they threw their controller, I think that it's having an impact and that it's turning them into a violent person. And I generally go, okay, what happened before that? Was it the game or was it the fact that you walked up and turned the, the system off? You know, in which case that's called frustration and it's because you don't understand the game and you don't understand the fact that you might just have lost all their XP points, their save point. Uh, and it's, it's I, I'm totally agreeing with you that it's this misunderstanding. So my recent uh, conversations have included VR, um, which I've said to parents, have you had a go on VR? You know, it's, it's really, really interesting. My, my boys growing up um, did play on uh, violent video games in, in the, before, before the ratings would allow them because we had conversations about what the game contained. Um, you know, we, we are massive Halo fans in, in our household. And we, we had a conversation about, okay, aliens don't exist. It's not okay to do this. We had um, conversations around the morals. But also, when I was watching my children play the games, I was absolutely astounded at the speed at which they picked up the controller um, use, how they could use. Uh, it's almost like having uh, 400 pieces of information at once. And as I said to you just before we started this podcast, I, I can't manage that amount of information. I struggle because I spend too long looking at things. And I've, I've watched children growing up who have developed this skill where they can take in an enormous amount of information with great speed. And, you know, the way that the way they play the games, I'm looking at this is the next cohort of game developers. So it, it, in terms of what it does do, it's massively positive. 
and and I find that this is where I tend to bring your, your book and say okay so there's a bit at the back of the book that's more about parenting go and have a look at that and see that actually it's not all bad um, what I do find is parents don't actually generally want to go off and do the reading so they want me to sit and teach them which is kind of what I end up doing in sessions um, so I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to have had this conversation with you Pat and, and you know unfortunately we're, we're slightly time constrained today so I'm going to try and keep it as, as simple as I can towards the end um, so I'm, yeah, I'm well, just, now, now, now you can give those parents the audiobook though so they don't have to ah, read well, it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I think I saw that on one of your tweets the other week and that's one of the <laughs> things I actually said to a parent is you don't have to you can listen to this whilst you're that's on right. the supermarket um, well, you, and, and you know, I think one of the things that, that parents and just general public who aren't gamers sometimes misunderstand that it's okay to be like morally offended by violent video games. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And there, there's lots of reasons why you might not want your child to play a violent video game. I mean, you might want, don't want to have nightmares. You want to not let them know that the world's a scary place. You know, as parents, we protect our children. It's our job to protect them from kind of scary things. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. But what we um, are trying to point out is simply that violent video games don't cause horrific acts of violence. And so just because we're morally offended by them, or if we are morally offended by them, doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to do these horrific things. You can have, again, you can have both of those things. It's perfectly fine to, I mean, so I, I don't let my children play violent video games. But again, the reason isn't because I'm worried it's going to turn them into school shooters. It's simply because they're, they're much younger. And so I just, I'm trying to kind of, I don't want them to see those kind of scary things. I don't want to be up with them at two in the morning because they had a nightmare. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's other reasons why we may prevent our children from playing uh, this yeah. media, which are, again, perfectly fine. It's really a different conversation to see, to say about, you know, what's appropriate for children versus does it cause violence? Absolutely. And I, I think, to be perfectly honest, um, and I, I realised I made quite a generalising sweeping statement about parents don't want to go off and read stuff, and that's not necessarily true, so I shall retract that. Um, I am a parent. I don't want to read stuff. It's totally true. <laughs> uh, I, I, I am thinking that, uh, oh, where was I going to go with this? Um, actually, I, I've, I've kind of seen more impact of other things in my, in my therapy practice when, when I'm looking at the cyber traumas. I actually see more impact from pornography and real world violence on social media than I ever have done by anybody using a violent video game. So uh, in terms of what I actually see as the impact that comes through my door for uh, younger people, teenagers, adolescents, actually it's, it's not the violent video games. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's kind of why I'm, why I'm really kind of uh, extending my reach at the minute to kind of speak to people to go, okay, please, in, in this case, um, it's kind of corroborating that, uh, yeah, what I've been thinking and looking at is pretty much true. Um, and I think the, the panics that we have, I think, uh, uh, yeah, they, they are driven by fear. And I think you're right in terms of parenting. And it, it is a misunderstanding, definitely, of the technology. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this is where this is where we'll get into, you know, ratings and um, addictions and things like that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of money to be made out of this kind of um, psychopathological uh, labeling. So uh, I kind of get why why it occurs. Um, but I think that might be for another podcast. Um, so I'm just aware of the time pattern, obviously, uh, the conversation that we had before we started recording. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wondered if there was anything you wanted to say before we finish. and to thank you for your time.
No, nothing. No problem at all. Thank you very much. I had a great time and I, I'm glad you found the book useful. I'm, it's, yeah, if I could, if I could spout um, a number of books, yours would be one of them. And, you know, because it's not sensationalist, there's, there's a lot of evidence in it. And for me, reading through it, it was really nice to read without going, oh, I don't believe that, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't feel that I was reading something that was um, bullshit from one end to the other, which yeah, I have yeah. read a lot of cyber-based books that are like that. Yeah, that's, that's very kind of you. I, that's actually one of the nicest compliments you could get. I, I, I Well, I'm just that. thinking, yeah, well, don't, don't, don't put that on your, uh, yeah, don't put <laughs> the compliment somewhere that that's what I've done. Oh, no. But it, well, it's, yeah, I, I just wanted to say, Pat, I, actually, it was a really, really balanced view. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've kind of thumbed through it and I've taken bits out of it. And it is one of the go-to books that I recommend to people because I'm looking at a different aspect around uh, cyber-based traumas. So, you know, why have a dog and bark yourself? Somebody else as, as um, esteemed as yourself and Chris have done this research. So I tend to point people in your direction. Ah, well, thank you very much. Thank okay. you for your kind words. Okay. So I wanted to thank you for your time. And then what I will do is do a little bit of a recording afterwards about the uh, sharing and tweeting and all the rest of it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I had a good time. I got to go. I got to go get my kid. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.